Welcome to the first ever Pucks of a Feather podcast. That's right, episode one. You know, just midway through the season, we decided to bring some Ducks news to you on perfect a weekly timing, basis. Right? Perfect timing, right? Perfect timing. Perfect <laughs> timing. You know, that, this is how we started uh, the last podcast we did, right? In the, in the middle of the season at game number, what, 52 coming up? Something like that, yep. Right around, right around the same time, and in March last year. I'm Patrick Mahoney, and the voice you just heard alongside me here is Eddie Jones. Uh, some of you might have known us from the Forever Mighty Post Game Show, and maybe some of you are hearing us for the first time now. So, welcome aboard to uh, our weekly Duck Show for Fan Sided on Pucks of a Feather. We're very excited to be doing this. Um, this is something we've been talking about for some time. It's exciting to be able to be here and uh, to do the show and bring it to you guys here. Uh, you know, weekly. Weekly is going to be great because we have a ton of Ducks news we can cover inside and out and uh, pick apart this team. So, because that's what it needs right it- now. It's exciting and also less depressing because we don't have to talk about them on a nightly basis and endure, <laughs> endure going over the games and recapping the games. It's like, oh, yeah, these games happen, but here's the big news. Right, yeah. So we could definitely get into you know plenty of stories weekly. And, um, you know, you guys, hey, maybe you guys know Eddie from his uh, fan-sided articles he puts up all the time on Pucks with Feather, right, Eddie? Yeah, my, uh, my two or three articles I've put up <laughs> because... I am I am definitely on time with putting articles out for sure. Oh well, you know that's okay. We can we can we can help you out with that. I'll give you some more ideas. But uh, we'll have another co-host on here as well. Jason Lamb uh, will also be hosting the show with us. We'll rotate you know our you know, in and out of the show depending on uh, who's available. But you will have a weekly show from here on out. And um, shoot, man, let's let's kind of get into what the topics we've got going on today. Um, several things to talk about. The All Star break just happened, so we're gonna have to. Look at the Gibson Twitter fire that happened with uh, his performance being, I don't know, lackluster as people were coming it's, out and firing at him. His performance was picked apart and analyzed like it was Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. That was brutal. That was brutal. They they being uh, Ducks fan Twitter was just on fire there. So we got that. We got some Camp Fowler talk. We got trades. We got to talk Eddie. Um, we definitely have to talk about, uh, I don't know. Where we're looking at, uh, are we looking at a Vesna winning goaltender here when we're talking about John Gibson? So that's something we got to get a dig, dig into here as well. I mean, are we? Like, I feel like we are, but and you know what, the, the Players Hockey Rating Association, whatever you want to call them, they oh. uh, they seem to agree with us as well. Uh, but the GMs, we know the GMs. You know, the GMs get the final say, and whether John Gibson gets a Vesna. Is oh, I, you know, it's not in Peter Shirelli's grubby hands anymore. It's in all the other GMs <laughs> instead. Yeah, so they're not really reliable though to vote for the correct people, as we all know. The GMs don't I mean they don't really make great decisions. They just don't. It's the job I've told you I, I could have had forever. I, they just got to hire me. I would be the, the perfect GM at any NHL franchise, and that's you know that's, that's widely known. I'm just under the radar. I'm like, uh, yeah. kind of like a Kyle Dubas. You're not known yet. You're, yeah, you're, you're, you're making your way up there. Started with uh, seeing Bob Murray and Starbucks and working your way oh, possibly, yeah. to, possibly to assistant GM. And then who knows? Maybe you take over in uh, 2020 after the Seattle draft. Working I know. your way up there. I know. That's what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> before before we get into uh, some major Ducks news we got to talk about, I want to I talk to you about the All-Star game because that just happened. Do we have to? I mean, I mean, a little bit. You didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. No, I did. Do you didn't watch the, any of the All Star game at all? 
I, I, so I, I was away for the skills competition for the first hour, and okay, I, was, I, I came too. home and I was like, you know what? I probably missed a lot of it because it started at nine Eastern for my time. I get back, it's ten o'clock, ten ten. I have literally only missed the fastest skater. So somehow they have wasted an hour and ten minutes only doing one event, and that was probably the only one I wanted to see to see if anybody could beat Connor McDavid, and. Then I turn it on and I get Premier Passing and Save Streak and just ridiculous events that I don't care about anymore. Uh, and and Hardest Shot isn't even fun anymore because Zidane Chara and Shea Weber aren't in it. So nobody's blasting over like 105, 106 anymore. It's just whoever can get basically over 100 has a pretty good shot at winning. So I didn't watch it. And I, I wanted to watch the All-Star game, but uh, that didn't happen either. The All-Star game was fun beyond the Pacific Division playing in the very beginning. That was awful. Awful. Yeah. That was terrible. They, the, John Gibson led in, what, seven goals on nine shots? Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. But I, I got to talk to you about the skills competition because I thought what was really cool is the NHL allowing um, you know female athletes participate, Olympians, you know some of the best hockey players, period, in my opinion, um, were able to compete, kind of. They were like, demonstrating the skill. Yeah. I, I don't want like They were... Sort of allowed to compete, which they, is kind of ridiculous in the first place. They should have just let them if they're going to bring yeah, them exactly. there. Just let them. Yeah, it's it's almost a gimmick if you're just uh, if you're not allowing them to compete, but they're there to just show off the events and and those they they don't even get out adver- advertised on TV. Uh, we didn't even see. I don't think Brianna Decker show how to do the event or or her time wasn't actually clocked and it wasn't shown on TV. The only reason uh, Kendall Coins was is because she took. Nathan McKinnon's spot in Fastest Skater. If you're going to have them demo the event, just have a female hockey player in each event. Just see how they do. I mean, what, what's the point? If you're going to have them there just to demo it, at least let them participate and actually clock a time and see how they do. Because, I mean, Kendall Coyne was a, a second, at least, off of Connor McDavid. She was pretty close. And then uh, Brianna Decker almost beat Dreisaitl's time to win the Premier Passing event. So, like, what? they're obviously close and and in the, the skills competition, just let them compete and see how it goes. Makes it fun. Yeah. I think they should be allowed to anyway. And like the NHL's in this this crazy campaign that uh, you know, which is if, I mean, they, they're finally trying to include everybody, which is great, right? They're out there doing the hockey is for everyone. Well, how about we? we you know, they, they they need to stop not including women in these types of things. We can't if you can't get by not saying best female hockey player. You can't just say she's one of the best hockey players. That's yeah. the problem. You just need to include we have some of the best hockey players here at the All-Star Game. Who cares if she's a woman? If she's great, she's great. Like, Kendall Coyne flew. I mean, that girl just crushed Speed is speed. Crushed right? it. Like, speed is speed. If you have speed and you're a fast skater, it, it doesn't really matter. And even passing ability, if you, you look at it. Like, I'm surprised, and I saw somebody put this out there today, that in this day and age where it's completely switched to a speed game and a less physical game, that no team has given one of the elite female players a tryout or something like you look at some of the guys that that are still out there on fourth lines on some of these bad teams like how is a Hillary Knight or Brianna Decker or or any of any of those athletes how are they not getting at least a shot or a tryout or something like I, I feel like some of them could play honestly I think so too I think they totally could especially you're worried about size I mean I guess that plays into a factor for sure but you got guys like Johnny Gaudreau you know, I mean, size is not so much of a factor anymore in today's game. So Edmonton's playing Kyler Yamamoto, and he's like 5'9", 150 pounds. Like, oh, I'm he's sure most... probably going to go back to Bakersfield. Yeah. Well, but still, he's playing games this year, meaningful hockey. I mean, most of the women are bigger than him. 
True. Very true. <laughs> so, I mean, we're not at that point, though. I feel like the league's not there yet. But I think eventually we might see something like that. I think at the very least, the NHL should probably look at trying to maybe, I don't know, support the NWHL and support the CWHL and, and help them like, grow the sport. It's it's literally... They need one league. They need one league. Yeah, it's find a way to unify it and then and then promote it. They need to figure yeah. out a way to do that. So they, they've both lost teams to each other in the past because Boston, I think, used to have two teams and now they're only in one league. Like it, it doesn't benefit. I mean, it's the NHL and the WHL. It doesn't benefit having two different leagues. Like you want to have one unified league that you can rally around. And I think personally, that's the NWHL. Nothing against the CWHL is the Canadian Women's Hockey League, so I probably should be supporting that one. But the NWHL just seems like it has more going for it. So, uh, I mean. The NWHL was like, we're, we can't turn this Ducks podcast into that. Yeah, we, we, we can't get into that on this one. But we could talk about that some other time. Now I, we're just like trying to avoid the Twitter fire that we got to talk about now with John Gibson. My God. I, He's I just not just, good at breakaways. Think... He's just not good at hockey right now either. If you watch the All-Star game and you base your opinions on the All-Star game, he's just not good anymore. He's just not, yeah, he's not trying. That's the thing. Like, you can tell that the first save attempt he made was a flying poke check, then he stacked the pads. If you see that and you tell me he's trying in the All Star game, then that's ridiculous. If you saw his exit interview, I guess if you want to call it that, after they did like an interview with all the Pacific Division players talking about how they hung him out to dry, he's smiling, laughing, basically like carefree. He knew he wasn't taking it seriously. And then as they all mentioned, he's got literally all-stars on two-on-ones, three-on-twos, breakaways. Like nobody's stopping that. And and John Gibson to begin with, yes, he has issues with breakaways, but I don't look at his performance and an all-star game as being an issue for him on breakaways. Like, he's just, he wasn't giving 100%. You can clearly tell he wasn't. And it's like, if you're going to judge a guy, that's just laughable. Just stop. Just stop. If you're going to look at an all-star game and be like, I can't believe that, uh, you know, he performed that way for any player. Look at any player on there, and you're going to judge him off an all-star game. It's, kind of, it's just ridiculous. I can't believe Eric Carlson took over two minutes on the pre-game pass. <laughs> He's a terrible no, player. He's definitely not one of the best puck-moving defensemen in this league. How could he How could he not finish that in a minute? <laughs> Connor McDavid got robbed by Devin Dubnik with the windmill glove. How could, how could he get beat by such a by such an average goaltender in the league today? So like, Jack Eichel finished a, a half a second behind Connor McDavid. He's obviously not as fast as we think he is. Like, let's just come on, man. Like everyone in Twitter needs to calm down. They just everyone has a voice, but not everyone should be allowed to voice it <laughs> online. I'm sorry about certain topics. Sometimes you just got to stop. You have to stop. You can't be talking about John Gibson and have all this Vesna talk, which we're going to get into here in a minute, because we got we already talking about Gibby. Might as well stay on track with that, and then go back and be like, well, his All Star performance. I mean, I he could have got the Vesna, but then he shit the bed in the All-Star game, and it's like, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe he doesn't deserve maybe it. Maybe Robin Leonard deserves it. That's what they're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> let's, get, let's talk about that Vesna performance this season. He's he's played on probably the worst team in the NHL. I'm just throwing that out there. The Ducks are the worst team in the NHL, probably behind, oh, maybe, oh, not behind, probably just in front of Ottawa. Give it, in giving support for your goaltender, then yeah. It's them in Ottawa when you look at, like, shots against per 60 and just the support they gave in front of them. We were looking at, like, five-on-five shot attempts this year with the Ducks and where they come from and, like, 
probably 60% of them are right from in either in close in the slot or from the high slot. They're all 10 feet in front of Gibby. 10 to 15 feet. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, and especially on on the penalty kill. And you look at the fact that his save percentage, and not just on the penalty kill, but 5 on 5, is still very high for a guy who is, is facing the amount of quality shots that he faces. I just, I don't understand how this team went from last year, not so bad. Not amazing, but not so bad. They still made the playoffs. I mean, I guess you could call that a playoff, getting swept by the Sharks. But uh, this season to being, they just can't get their feet under them. They're, they fumble at every move, and they do it in front of a goaltender that's giving them a chance to win every single night. And they just bleed uh, attempts, they bleed shots, um, two-on-ones. I mean, how many two-on-ones have we seen recently? Gibby's arguably playing better than he did last year. I think he is. I think he's playing better than he did last year for sure. I think it's because they, they took the system that wasn't great last year and then they just tried to change it and make it into a modern system and it just doesn't work. And it's all falling apart and the wheels have fallen off and they can't. They just can't get around it now. But they're going to blame it on injuries. Oh, they will, oh, for sure. They're going to blame this, and, and, this whole thing on injuries. Yeah, because the Ducks are the first in main games lost and I think they almost doubled the second place team in the stars like they're Ooh. just so far ahead of everybody else that it's ridiculous I think at this point it's over 300 man games lost or something ridiculous like that just because of the guys they've missed I mean Corey Perry alone has missed every game this season right so it's just like the amount of man games lost they have is unbelievable but it it shouldn't be an excuse it honestly shouldn't but it will be so let's look at John Gibson's minutes five on five that's that's the time that most hockey is played we all know that right so he's first in save percentage right he's no he's he's first in shots against the shots against okay not for oh first in goals uh goal saved above average that's what i was looking at which and he's up he's up there by a mile so yeah. average goaltending yeah not even close you put an average goaltender he's he's stopping 16 goals that that would be goals on on the average goaltender across the league, and the next highest is Riddich at eleven, and and I mean that's just a five on five. When you go to all situations, that he goes up to eleven points higher than the next highest guy. He's saving twenty six and a half goals saved above an average goaltender if you put him in the same situation, the same quality of shots that he's facing in the Anaheim goal crease. Robin Lehner is second with fifteen point oh three. He he's almost higher than. The second and third guy put together. If you if you add Grice and Laner together, it's about twenty seven and a half. And Gibson's at twenty six and a half on his own in all situations. Like that's the type of year that this guy is having. When you look at how much better he's performing than an average goaltender would in that situation. But he's not getting the wins, Eddie, which means he's not going to win the Vesna, and he doesn't have the goals against average. Right. That's that's yeah. what we're talking about when we're talking about the Vesna voting or what the GMs look at. I love how it's it's the best goaltender in the league, and we still use the heavily team based stats like goals of goals against average and wins. Wins is the most ridiculous one of them all. Like Mark Andre Fleury has twenty seven wins because the Vegas Golden Knights have literally nobody else to put in the crease. He has to play almost every night, and they're a good team. They just win hockey games. You look at Martin Jones. Like this is how ridiculous wins are. Martin Jones is second in the league in wins. He's got a sub nine hundred save percentage. That's unheard of. On a great team, like if you want to look at how ridiculous using wins are, that should tell you right there. Yeah, Martin Jones isn't in consideration for the Vesna because his save percentage is horrible, but 
he still has 23 wins. So how does that? How can wins matter at all if he's got 23 and has a sub 900 save percentage? I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand how he has a sub 900 save percentage and he's on the Sharks, <laughs> and he has two Norris Trophy, two Norris Trophy, uh, Trophy winning defensemen on that blue line. He's they just still sub nine hundred. <laughs> then they just beat the the Washington Capitals like seven six before the break. It was something ridiculous, something absolutely yeah. ridiculous. So I mean, let's cap off the Vesna talk here. Um, do you think he's going to win it? The writers think so. Like they're picking him midway point of the season. If he maintains pretty much what he's doing, do you think he's going to get it? Because you know he's not going to get the wins. It's it's a boost. Like it's always a boost getting the midseason awards because that does sometimes influence the general managers at the end of the year on whether whether you're going to get a nomination or not. They look at that heavily. Uh, I think that's why Vasilevsky even got a nomination because he had a horrible second half. Maybe not horrible, but not nothing comparable to a lot of the goaltenders who had very good second halves and probably should have got a nomination over him. But because of the way he started and because he was the favorite and the guy predicted to win at midseason, he still got that nomination. So that could help Gibby get a nomination, right? Like, I don't think that hurts, but... In the end, you know, the wins are going to be really far off of, of Flurry and Anderson, who are the other two that were uh, second and third at the midseason awards. He's already 10 wins behind Flurry, and he's uh, five wins behind Frederick Anderson. And that's only going to grow as the Leafs and, and the Gold Knights just continue to win games and the Ducks don't. And in, in turn, his save percentage and his goals against average are going to take a hit. And unfortunately, that's still what the general managers look at at the end of the day. A guy could have 48 wins. And have a save percentage maybe not in the top five, but those forty-eight wins are going to look pretty sweet for the general managers. I think it's going to be Mark Andre Fleury. I bet you he wins the Vesna and Gibby gets nominated. So ridiculous! I just hope it's not Freddie. As much as I love Freddie, oh. never you'll never hear the at the end of it on Twitter or anywhere. It's always going to be like, oh, Freddie won a Vesna before Gibby. Should have kept Frederick Anderson. <laughs> and I love both of them, and they're both great goaltenders. But I. I can't be put in that oh, situation. Dude, that Jake Muzzin that. just got put on the blue line in front of Freddie. So yeah. there's an opportunity there, and he's a great defenseman. There's an opportunity now for Frederick Anderson to get even better numbers because now his defense looks a whole hell of a lot better uh, than it did just a night ago. So there's your chance. You might just curse it right there. I hope he doesn't I, win. <laughs> oh watch watch Frederick he's Anderson won. win now. Oh, my God. Oh my he, god! He the Leafs are gonna. The Leafs have been struggling. Now they'll go back and they'll win a ton of games, and he'll get close to fifty wins and probably above nine twenty save percentage, and that will be enough, and he'll win. Oh my god! I I can't believe that, dude. I just when you said that, you're like, I hope he doesn't win. And it just hit me right now that holy hell, Jake Muzzin's started, on that team. Started getting like flashbacks. <laughs> Of all the conversations we've had with people, where they're like, I don't know, I kind of like Freddie. Like, okay, okay, okay. Um, The only time that I wasn't on Team Gibson was when we were talking about trade potential. This was like over a year ago, back when, over a couple years ago now, back when Freddie was on the team. And I was like, if you want to get more in a trade, you trade Gibby and you keep Freddie. That's just if you want to get more out of a trade with a goaltender. I mean, Freddie probably wasn't as, wasn't worth as much as what Gibson was worth, plus age and all that would factor into it. But I'm super happy that the Ducks kept John Gibson. That's the goalie I want to have here. But when it came to trade value, I was like, 
I mean, if you're going to trade someone, you you would trade Gibby and keep Freddie. Yeah, Gibby was always the guy you keep. He's yep. a younger guy. They were both playing really well, uh, and it just felt like he was the guy that you should be going with if you're looking to you know win now, but also potentially rebuild and win in the future. I believe he's four years younger than Freddie, which is obviously a huge advantage. So sure, you would have got more from him, but you look at what they got for Freddie, it ended up being Sam Steele and Maxim Comtois. I believe there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, no. that's good. That is good drafting for sure. Getting Sam Steele with 30th overall and then getting Maxim Comtois in the second round. So. That could easily have looked horrible if the Ducks just didn't draft well. That's just the nature of of trading a guy for picks. But it worked out in the end, and they had to they had to trade one. We knew they were going to trade one. They traded him out of division. It's not really going to hurt them, and uh, they they honestly kept the right guy. If you're looking at the way they're struggling right now and the seasons that John Gibson is putting together uh, for the future, he'll be around longer than Frederick Anderson will be, and probably be better for a longer period of time than Anderson will be. Oh, no, I 100% agree with you on that. Like, there's no question. There's no question that keeping Gibby was the right thing to do. I was just saying, to get more value out of a trade, I felt like that's what the Ducks, when I got asked that question, you're going to get more for John Gibson than you were for Freddie. So Gibby's obviously more valuable. But I would, imagine I wouldn't. what he would get now. Like, imagine oh, what Gibson would fetch. I'm not saying Franchise trade, goaltender. So, no, hell so no. Let, let's, let's calm down a bit here. I'm not saying <laughs> let's trade him. But I'm saying imagine what you would get for him now. That Just the season he's putting together, people are starting to recognize it in mainstream media, just how good this guy's been. There's heart discussion for this guy. I mean, just that talk around him alone is showing how good he's been for the Ducks this year. The the package that it would take to pry him away from the Ducks now would probably double what they would have got for him if they had traded him instead of Freddie before. Oh yeah, no, I agree. Because now he's 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 coming up to being at that elite level, right? He's at that peak level right now that he's going to try to maintain for the Ducks. Um, speaking of trades, we all agree that John Gibson shouldn't be traded. We all agree John Gibson is Vesna worthy, but the Ducks did make some uh, some trades as as many people. Uh, Can me- you call them trades? And media you- said they, they said he, he that Bob Murray shuffled some deck chairs. <laughs> That's what it was called. Shuffled Trading- deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> he he traded Pontus Aberg uh, for Justin Klaus to Minnesota. He traded Michael Delzato or traded uh, for Michael Delzato for uh, for Shen and a 2027th round pick. Strangely the enough, so, the ever so coveted 2027th round pick. To Vancouver, why? Why do we know why? Picks. The the seventh round picks are apparently really valuable. That's a big piece. I, I want to know what happened. <laughs> I want to know what went down in the war room where they're like, "All right, so Bob Murray wants Delzato, and he's offering us Luke Shen. Uh, that's a that's a pretty decent deal. You know, that's not going to hurt us or, or help us in any way. But you know what would be would be great." We could just get a seventh round pick, but but not this year. Next year, because we don't want anything this year. Next year makes sense. Makes the most sense to do that. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I would love to. Yeah, I would love to know the train of thought behind that. It was very odd, very panicky of Bob Murray to do these trades, and then he also traded uh, Joseph Blantisi to Pittsburgh for uh, elite number one center Derek Grant to come back to Anaheim because for whatever reason couldn't retain him over the summer and didn't want to. Anyone pandering to, to the fans. Yeah, that's, everyone uh, wants them. That's a veteran move, thinking ahead, saying, hey, we'll let this guy go, but I got this ace in the hole in case we're absolutely crap this year. I'll just go get this guy back. Yeah, I'll he wants to come back. back. Just do that. Yeah, Why not? 
So he goes out and makes all these panic trades, but doesn't really impact the roster whatsoever, right? I mean, he traded also traded Andrew Cogliano prior to these. So yeah. that was like the only real face of, uh, uh, you know, face. Not, he's not the face of the franchise. He's a fan favorite, though. Everyone liked Cogs. Uh, he's been a big part of the team. And he's been through, um, honestly, the, the, some of the best years, right? I mean, post, post-Cup. He's been here for seven, eight years. And now he got traded to Dallas um, for Devin Shore. But these trades, Eddie, just don't really do anything for me. They just don't. I mean, Derek Grant's the best one. They don't do anything for me, though. It was trading things to just trade for the sake of trading. Like, just trading to kind of pander to the fans uh, that you can kind of pitch that you're trying to change things. But you're not really. Like, you know, you traded Auberg, who was your top goal scorer, for a guy who's going to play in the in the AHL. You brought in Delzato, who's really not much better than Shannon. We saw that in, yes, it's only one game he played, but he's not going to be a, a very good defenseman. Jakob Larson was scratched for him, which I really don't ever want to see again. Derek Grant was a decent trade. It makes sense with Ryan Kessler and, and the, the uncertainty of whether he's going to return. That's one that actually makes sense. And Derek Grant has worked here, and he's been pretty good since coming over. So I can't really criticize that one. And Joseph Blandisi just honestly hasn't worked, and he hasn't really been given an opportunity to get to that point where he could succeed with the Ducks. So I, I, I understand maybe just going that route with that one. But, yeah, they're, they're kind of panic trades. I mean, they're not the ultimate panic trade, no. like Minnesota trading Victor Rask for Nito Niederreiter type panic <laughs> trade. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're not impact moves that everybody was expecting. It's not a Silverberg trade. It's not a Fowler, Manson, or Montour trade. It's not like an Adam Henrique trade. It, it's just minor little deals that he's nitpicking at the roster with. Yeah, I just didn't see it as being anything that's going to get you know make this or shape this roster for next year. It's just kind of a little... Little band aids, or hey, I didn't like this guy, you know, with Pontus Aberg. Let's get him out of here. Something along those lines. He didn't have the grit or the leadership or, you know, the compete, as Randy Carlisle would put it. Um, he didn't play the old school hockey that he likes, so they got rid of him. Delzato, I don't understand. I really, I don't understand that. I, I don't understand that move whatsoever. And then Grant was the only one I liked. And that just kind of made some sense because Kessler's been useless when he wasn't injured. And now that he's injured, we have to fill the spot. So Derek Grant is a welcome addition, in my opinion. But he wasn't like he's going to take us out of this dump and bring us back to a, a you know a competitive hockey club. So the three keys to succeed under Randy Carlyle: grit, leadership, and compete level. <laughs> That's all we need. That's all we need. That's and, all you need. And no shots on the power play. You, you also yeah. need no shots in the power. That's a good way to. Well, succeed. that's just that's just typical. Grit, leadership, and compete level equals no shots. Well, yeah, but you don't need it when you're just pl- when you're playing defense all the time. It's fine. You don't have to worry about offense. You just play D all game. So get all that leadership. Though. <laughs> oh my God! Can we fire Randy Carlisle, please? <laughs> He's not going to go anywhere. Um, so those are the trades. Now let's let's keep along the trade path. I'm going to ask you. Basically, I'm going to end rapid fire, and you say yes or no on uh, off the Ducks roster if you would trade him. Or you th- actually not if you would, but do you think he's going to get traded? And I'm not going to yeah, say guys whole, with no move clauses. If I would trade them, or if he'll trade them. So if if he's going to trade them, then yeah, that's, let's, uh, let's get the obvious ones out of the way. Do you think Jacob Silverberg is here after the trade deadline? 
No, no. I think Bob Murray was saving face by saying that he's looking to re-sign him. Uh, you're not going to – he well, you some GMs will, but Bob Murray isn't the type of guy to come out and be like, yeah, I'm actively trying to trade this guy. You know, what else he's going to say? He's not going to say, oh, we're, you know, we're not uh, talking to him. We're not discussing it. He's just going to say, yeah, we're working on signing. We'd like to sign him. But that's all he really said. He, he still remained kind of vague about it. So I think they get rid of him. If they can get a late first-round pick and a prospect, that's perfect. I mean, that's exactly what you want at this point. Uh, if he's a part of the Ducks past the deadline, that's a really big missed opportunity for the Ducks because then you kind of have to re-sign him or you lose him for nothing. Oh, yeah. And then for the next four or five years at a cap hit that probably I wouldn't be comfortable with, you're now blocking Sam Steele, Max Jones, Maxim Comtois, Troy Terry from really jumping up and taking a top six role. All right, so Adam Henrique. He doesn't do it, right? He just, like, he just signed him. He just signed him. So why is he going to dump him, right? doesn't do it. I mean, you, you probably could argue that they should. Nothing against Adam Henrique, but if you want to go full rebuild mode like maybe the LA Kings are doing, then you could move on from a guy like Adam Henrique. You don't necessarily need him in the team. He's a guy you could probably move at the contract that he's at right now, and some teams would take him in as a two or a three C teams that need to compete. It reminds me of, of uh, the type of move that Pittsburgh made when they picked up Derek Broussard from the Ottawa Senators. Some team would be looking to do that type of move where they pick up Adam Henrique and try and push for a playoff spot with, with him. I don't know if they go for it because of the contract that he signed, and now it's a longer deal, and it's a little bit more of a commitment for a team. But the interest would be there. I just don't think Bob Murray does it, to be honest. I don't think so either. I mean, he's going to—he just signed the guy. I don't think he's going to move him. He's going to put up 40, 50 points, and that's what you want, right? Yeah, that's um, a typical Adam Henry gear. Let's let's get to another tough one here, and it's been talked about a lot recently. And uh, you did a little write-up on this guy, Cam Fowler. Is Cam Fowler going anywhere? He just signed that deal last summer. It kicks in at the beginning of next season for $6.5 million a year uh, with a uh, modified no-trade clause. Do you move Cam Fowler at the deadline? I mean, they probably should, but the question is, will they? And I don't think they will. But Cam Fowler's just had a not-so-great season this year. We all know the issues that Cam Fowler's always had. His awareness isn't that great. His defensive responsibility in his own end is at times suspect. And there's just times where he misses assignments. We've seen that ad nauseum this year and pretty much over his entire career. At times, he hasn't had a lot of help. I mean, look at the guys he was paired with. He was paired with Boschman and Lovejoy and Kevin Bieksa. I mean, those aren't guys you necessarily can succeed with, right? And this year, Manson and Fowler, despite what we thought could work as a pairing, has been one of the worst pairings I've seen the Ducks have in a long time. That includes Cam Fowler with uh, Kevin BX and Boschman with Brandon Montour. just has not been a great time for Fowler and Manson this year. But Cam Fowler, the strength he's always had has been skating. And zone exits and def- uh, the lack of defensive turnovers have always been the strong suit for Cam Fowler. This year, though, among the all the defensive issues he's had, he has been in the bottom 50% uh, in the league in zone exits. What used to be a strength of him is now a weakness, and then everything else has just been amplified on his weaknesses with his awareness and his defensive play. And it just hasn't looked good. And, hey, you know, and yes, it's a small sample size. I was going to say, some people might stop you there and say, Eddie, he's been hurt. 
and Eddie, this whole team's bad, and Eddie, Ow. he's not he's not playing with Brandon Montour. Eddie, you're not giving him enough credit. He hasn't had time to shake off the rust and, and come back and play. I mean, he took a puck to the face, so you know maybe he's got some adjusting to do here. Maybe we're going to see a better Cam Fowler after the All-Star break. Maybe you're rushing to conclusions. I, I hope so. I mean, the offense was there at the beginning of the year, but the Ducks had, you could say, were a l- very lucky team, right? Like, you have to say yeah. that the oh, PDO yeah. was high in the beginning of the year for the Ducks. And Cam Fowler had 10 points in his first 19 games, and a lot of that came at the beginning of the year when the Ducks were playing. One, you have to remember, three of those points were a hat trick that he had as well. So this year for Cam Fowler, the offense came early on in the beginning part of the season. He is now, I think, pointless since his return. So that's nine games. He has zero points. So the offense isn't there. He's not generating any offense. Him and, and uh, Manson are, are the worst possession rating on the team since him, his returning from injury. They've kind of been the worst possession rating on the year as well. So it, it just hasn't been pretty for Kim. The, the, he's not generating an offense. He's not doing particularly well in his own zone. And his skating really isn't be an asset for him this year. He's not really utilizing it in a way that's made him successful in the past. So, yeah, I think you're, you're spot on about him. I don't think they're going to trade him either because Bob Murray just offered him a contract last year. And he signed it. And it's a big deal. And they probably look to him as being part of the leadership group, right? And, you know, Bob Murray came out and, and went after all the guys who were 20-something. He didn't want to give names away, but 20-something people or twenty people in the, in the 20-something age group on this team need to step up, and they haven't stepped up. So, you know, he's talking about Manson, Fowler, Raquel, um, probably Andre Kasha, and, you know, guys like Adam Henrique, everyone who's in their 20s, he went after them, saying that he expected them to play a larger role here. So I don't think he's going anywhere. As much as I think they could get a, a decent return for him, too, because he still has that name value. Cam Fowler is, you know, you could look at this season as maybe just um, just a, a, one-off. a one-off a one off this year. He's allowed to have a bad year. This is his bad year? Okay. But then uh, let's see how he does, because they have him locked up for quite a long time. So uh, they better the hope That's the hard thing with moving him, right? Like, it, you, you have to now move an eight-year contract. Jake Muzzin just set the price probably for that type of defenseman for a top four left-handed defenseman, which was a first-round pick, a late first, and two, you know, B to A-level prospects. But, you know, Cam Fowler, the, the, the selling point for Muzzin, he's only making $4 million, and it's for this year and next year. So the Leafs, uh, if it doesn't work out, they get out of it. And if it works out, they have him for two seasons at a very friendly cap hit. Any team that takes on Cam Fowler not only has to take on $6.5 million next year, but they have to do it for eight years. Right. And that's, that's a tough sell. And, and at that point, do you trade Cam if you're getting a B-level prospect and a late first? Probably not worth it. You're selling low at that point just to get rid of him which you could probably be better off just keeping him instead of just going for it and getting a, a low pick that might not turn any, turn into anything. It, it's too much of a risk at that point, right? Yeah, like, keep, I, keep the known quantity at that yeah. point. Unless you're getting back something something comparable or a little better, keep the known quantity, right? There's no just reason. low if you don't have to. Right. No, I agree with you on that. But let's, let's, uh, let's go to another defender here. What about – let's just ask you in general. Do you think anyone off the decor gets traded? I think a lot of people have been saying who should be and shouldn't be untouchable on this team. 
Uh, and if you had to pick two guys on the blue line, obviously Hampus Lindholm. But honestly, I would say Brandon Montour, the way he's been playing this year. And you look at the the right side for the Ducks, it's Montour, Manson, and then you've got just a lot of guys down in the system, Suster, Dodgson. But you don't really have any prospects coming up on that right side to justify trading a guy like Brandon Montour. You would have to then go get somebody from the draft and hope that they're going to turn into a very good right-handed defenseman. So for me, that makes Brandon Montour untouchable. And then the only guy you can really explore is, is Josh Manson. And, and I think despite, again, a poor season from him, it's it, teams could look at it as a one-off. And, and he's a very valuable defenseman, a complete opposite of Cam Fowler, where if people are looking for a right-shot defensive defenseman, and we know the value of right-shot defensemen is usually higher, Josh Manson is, has a chance to get moved, possibly, if they want to go down that route. And he could fetch more than Cam Fowler because he has he's on a better deal. And he is a right shot defenseman. So that that could be something they explore. I don't know. I, I mean, I would trade one of them, to be honest, because it, it not only helps you out and gets your assets now, helps you out at the Seattle expansion draft where you're likely going to lose one of them anyway. Yeah, and I honestly think that they need to look at this as um, a time to build. This this Duck squad hasn't really looked at getting rid of anybody of, of um, like significant contract size you know, to add to add pieces because they've always been competitive, right? I mean, Western Conference Finals appearances, two in the last you know handful of years. Um, this team's you know Pacific Division banners, which I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying we need to cheer on the banners. I'm just saying like this team hasn't been terrible. This is really the start of a point where they need to look at a a retool, not a rebuild, but like a retool. Uh, you kind of felt the waves coming around last year. When things started to go south quite a bit, and you're like, okay, maybe they're not as good right now. They're hitting that peak age. The injuries were bad last year. The injuries, I mean, I feel like the injuries have been bad here for years now. Between the mumps, the torn labrums, uh, the hip for Kessler, the the puck to the face for Getzloff, the puck to the face now to Cam Fowler, Corey Perry's knee injuries, Corey Perry's knee injuries prior to this year. I just feel like there's there's been injuries that have haunted this team for so long. Uh, that's always going to be a mark for the coaching system, right? So uh, looking at this from last year to this year, I think they kind of need to step back and look at it as a, as an opportunity to sell assets high um, that you know, are known quantities. You're talking about either Cam Fowler or Josh Manson. Uh, maybe you're looking at, uh, at someone on the forward group, and you bring in younger prospects or picks so you can start building your team because that's the way it's built. You don't go out and get elite defensemen. You just don't. I mean, the fact that that the Sharks got Eric Carlson is insane for what they gave up, and yeah. right, that just doesn't happen. And they don't even know if they're going to resign him, so they might not even be able to keep him at that point. But the Ducks need to find a way to start building up the assets again because they have some decent young players at the pool. But I mean, you've been one to say it. you don't see any All Stars coming up through the ranks right now. They're missing the top end guys, and uh, one thing that's been haunting me lately. And I feel like this is like a perfect time to like interject sad music. But just picturing <laughs> back to the Seattle expansion draft, and if the Ducks just had have traded Cam Fowler and kept Shea Theodore. Oh, the Vegas expansion draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we would have Hampus Lindholm, Brandon Montour, Shea Theodore, and Josh Manson. Shea Theodore even had a $5.4 million contract, I believe was what he has. Just imagine Shea Theodore still with this team. And I'm I'm being harsh on Cam Fowler, but Shea Theodore has, has taken massive steps 
in his first two seasons with the Vegas Golden Knights, which a lot of us thought he would with presumably with the Ducks, which obviously didn't turn out to be that way. But man, it's just been it's been digging at me that Shea Theodore could be here and it could be Lindholm and Theodore on that left side with Montour and Manson and, and Theodore's numbers this year have just been off the charts. They have been for the last two seasons. They even were so pretty much when he was with the Ducks, even in a small sample size. That's just bothering me. <laughs> Every time you have to look up his like his analytics or, or how he's doing in Vegas, I know. I, I know we looked at him earlier, and you were just like, are you kidding me? How is he this good? And we let him go. That is unreal. And it all comes down to cap management, right? It all comes down to that. Yeah, it comes down to you don't want to get rid of Clayton Stoner, or you have to get rid of Clayton Stoner to save some cap, and you didn't want to ask Kevin Bieksa, who probably wouldn't have, to waive his no-move clause that you gave him in the first place. Before he even put on a duck sweater, by the way, and played in the game, you want to give him a no-move no move clause. But that's what we do here. That's what we do here. Um, so I guess the final way to wrap up the, the trade deadline, um, I guess we're, we're weeks ahead of it right now. So the final way we can cap off, looking this far ahead, I should put it, because uh, we'll definitely be talking about this as it gets closer and more trades start happening, especially if our boys are involved. Are they buyers or sellers? I know what you want them to do, but are we yeah. really a seller now? Or is this more of like a super slow, methodical, surgical restructuring of the team that Bob Murray likes to do? Murray's never a guy that's like the quick fix, need to get a Band-Aid, need to get a rental, need to do this. He's more of like, I'm going to take my time and do things and and uh, maybe not make any sort of flashy move. They're at that point where normally any other team, you'd be like, oh, they're they're in between. They could be either or. They could be seller or buyer. It just all depends on which direction the GM wants to go in. But then you look at the fact they've lost 14 of their last 16 games and they haven't played good at all. Least goal scoring team th- since Christmas. That's likely not going to change or get drastically better anytime soon. So I would assume they're a seller, but not in the sense that they're going to just sell off their top guys. They're a seller, and they're going to get rid of Silverberg because you need to get something for him. Maybe they go out and make a big splash and and trade Fowler, Manson, or Montour if they really want to go all in to sellers. But I can see them just getting rid of Silverberg, and and that's it. That's the only big move they make on deadline day is just getting rid of Silverberg. And, you know, I'd I'd be okay with that. I, I think they should go big and, and trade a defenseman or get some more assets. The more first-round picks you can gather in this draft, the better. It, the, the quicker it turns around your rebuild. And it is a really great top-end draft this year. So I think they're sellers for sure. Silverberg, I think, is an easy choice. But I don't know if Bob Murray is going to go full send and actually go all the way and trade somebody else a big name. I don't, I think you, I don't think we're going to see a lot of movement. I think the only person of significance on this roster that gets moved is Jacob Silverberg. I don't think anyone else is going to get moved. I know that Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet said that uh, Bob Murray, if things continue to head down this slide, that he thinks that there will be an opportunity here for the Ducks to do something significant. But he's, like, biding his time. So I don't know how much yeah. longer you have to wait There's with how bad this team is. There's definitely an opportunity to do something big. The the question is if Bob Murray pulls the trigger. Every trade deadline, there's the opportunity for the Ducks to do something big, and they haven't done it. And the last two in particular have been super painful when you look at the fact that the the Ducks were actually linked by credible people to Max Pacioretty and Evander Kane, especially last year. Didn't do anything about it. Didn't go out and get that extra piece to push them over the top. And they've been been victims and and, uh, guys. Bob Murray's been responsible of that before, where 
we've had the opportunity to go out and get a big guy and you brought in Jason Chimera and you brought in, you know, James Wisniewski or you, you just don't really go out and get that big name guy. So speaking of making the playoffs this year, the ducks going into the all-star break right now, aren't too far out, right? I think they're a point and they have guys in the mend. So we could talk about that for a second here. Kessler hip, no timetable, Pointless at 18 straight. I think he has one goal on half a season. He's obviously not that good. Um, it's just really unfortunate because we love Ryan Kessler, but he's My obviously God. not that good anymore. Um, I mean, just saying he's pointless in his last 18 is a dig enough. You're just like, oh, he's obviously not that he's good. He's just not, and I love Ryan Kessler, man. He's just not that good. Yeah. He, that injury's brutal. That you can't do anything about that. Learning how to He's walk the right back. way, skate yeah. the right way, it's it's brutal. He's never gonna be the same guy. Uh Andre Kasha on the weirdest play ever tears his labrum and he's out for six months. The hell? Did anybody watch that play? That was the weirdest Yeah, he like fell forward on a face off. Nobody knew what happened. Like, oh, they saw his arm in a sling, and like all the reports were like that's better than a cast, better than not seeing him at all. He's probably fine. Maybe he just maybe he got a shoulder sprain or sprained his elbow. No, he tore muscle in his chest. That's great. <laughs> you know, he gets to escape the tire fire and he's out in Cabo over the All Star break with Nick Ritchie oh, living boy. it up. Oh boy. Yeah, I don't blame him. I would too. I want to get out. I, I want to get as far away from Anaheim as possible if I'm on this team. Uh, Jacob Silverberg hamstring. He's back in skating. Ryan Miller is supposed to be coming back pretty soon from a uh, sprained MCL. And then Corey Perry, Scory Perry, as many like to call him from his uh, his glory days, is very close coming back from a torn meniscus and uh, MCL injury. Could be back as early as this weekend in Winnipeg. Oh, I hope he's back because now I'm going to that game in Toronto and I I will bring my Perry jersey if he's playing. Of course you I will. Just, I, I, want him to, I want him back. I got a soft spot for Corey Perry. I, you know, he's not going to come back and light it up, and he's not going to be the savior of this team in the second half. But it's been weird. You have to admit it's been weird this year, going the whole season, not seeing number 10 out there at all when we've been so used to seeing him during the regular season. He almost missed the entire year this year. By the time he comes back, if he comes back he's uh, as early as Winnipeg, he's, what, missed 51 games this year now? I mean, it, it's ridiculous. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm tempering my expectations a little bit. Because we fully know well that Corey Perry could come back and just not play well because he's coming back from a, a severe knee injury and he was already trending downwards to begin with. But uh, I, I have some hope. I have some hope that Corey Perry can come back and, and at least play semi-good. Who's he play with? Yeah, that, that's the question because he's coming back probably at the same time that Silverberg and Patrick Eves come back. Oh, I didn't even mention that. Got... Eves is on his way back too. Yeah. He's, on the, he's on the uh, on the conditioning stint with the goals. You've got four right-wingers coming back, one of which can play left-wing in Silverberg. Add that to the mix with Daniel Sprong, who also generally just plays on the right wing. You've got now a top nine that probably is Sprong, Perry, and Patrick Eves. You switched Silverberg over to the left side. Uh, I, I could see him maybe starting with Getzlaff or they want to start things off hot and see if that has any, any remnants of chemistry left over. Uh, I could see them going with Richie, Henrique, and Perry. I don't think he falls down all the way to Derek Grant, and there's no way they play him on the fourth line, I don't think, unless they're just trying to get him back into fitness and playing him 12 minutes a night. 
But I think he steps right onto that power play unit, whether it be one or two, and he get, he steps on to a line with either Ryan Getzlaff or Adam Henry. You got you got to give him a chance to get going right off the bat. Yeah, and you know you got to give him a couple of games. I think you have to give him five five to ten games to get into the groove. NHL speed practices aren't the same. Um, you know, doing game speed things is just on another on, on another planet of, of hockey. People out there trying to hurt you, <laughs> especially the NHL. With a Nylander. He came back uh, mid midpoint of the season after not playing at all after because he had a contract standout and he's been awful since returning. He had his only his first good game, I believe, in the last game for Toronto before the All Star break, where he got three assists. Up until that point, he had a goal and two assists in like seventeen games. Oh yeah, so it's it not brutal. easy. It's not easy for even the top players in the league to miss almost half a season, if not more and jump right back into the pace of play. It's going to be a struggle for Corey Perry. I would be surprised if he came out and looked good off the bat. It's it's going to take him five to ten games to really adjust. No, I definitely agree with you on that. So before we get into the, the playoff discussion here, because I don't really want the Ducks to make the playoffs. I really don't. I picked them not to make them. But I think you're one of many at this point. Yeah, we don't want them to. Like, just bench Everybody's giddy. on the lose for Hughes and the uh, play crapple for Kako or whatever uh, – one you want to go with. So sacrifice Gibby's Vesna to miss the playoffs to try to get a top pick, is what you're saying. His Vesna's already sacrificed. <laughs> He's not getting the wins, so there you the, go. The GMs aren't going to vote for him. If the players, right, the, the writers were actually voting for it at the end of the year and the same guys who do the midseason awards, he might have a chance, but there's no way the GMs actually vote in favor of John Gibson. No, they're not going to. So anyway... Um, Corey Perry, and you said four right wings are coming back. So that means the kids are going to have to get shuffled around. Um, they're going to have to move either probably back to, to San Diego because San Diego's having a great year, by the way. Um, speaking of kids, we haven't seen him up since the beginning of the year, but Sam Steele, do you think he's no longer pegged to be the guy to come up as we all thought the in hype, training camp? The hype is gone, it feels like. And... You know, the hype was major because he had the 131-point season with Regina, and that was the big deal. CHL Player of the Year, just a ridiculous season for him. Got the World Junior snub that year, so all the all the news was focused on Sam Steele, and he was primed after missing not having to go to the World Juniors to have a very good season because he got to play a, a full 60- or 70-game schedule in the WHL. But uh, it seemed to die down a bit. You know, it was still there after his second season after that in the World Juniors, and, and they won gold, so the hype was still there. But then all of a sudden, Maxime Comtois comes out, and he becomes the new shiny guy. And Troy Terry gets a little bit more recognition again once he finally gets his debut at the end of last season with the Ducks. And uh, Sam Steele just sort of takes a back seat after not coming out and lighting it up for the Ducks at the beginning of the year, which I don't think any of us expected him to do, honestly. No, uh, no, no, no. You know, coming in as a center, a young center, and having to move around the lineup, and not being a particularly big guy, it's a little harder to adjust to the game. Uh, but the hype has kind of died down. I think if you ask a lot of people right now who the Ducks' top prospects are, a lot of them might put Comtois and even Terry and Jones above him right now just because we're seeing them in the NHL at this point. No, and I, honestly, I, I think that Max Jones looked really good so far with the Ducks. His game, he's got hands, he can hit, he, he he's not afraid of getting hit. And you saw in the games he's played, and they were going after him in the in the couple of games he's played so far. So, um, 
I like his style anyway. I'm more of a I'm more of a power forward dude anyway. Yeah. So he fits the duck style. He's physically more ready than than any of them. He's right? a big like kid. He, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We just we knew that when it comes to the pro game and just having the size and and strength to compete, that Max Jones was always going to be a step ahead of the other four. But I, I don't think the hype around Sam Steele should die as much as it has. I, in, in the fact that I have rarely heard his name mentioned at all compared to when it was literally the only name that Ducks fans would mention when it came to prospects and how Sam Steele was by far the Ducks' top prospect. And, you know, not much has changed since then. It's just been an adjustment period for him. You know, he's still got 23 points in 33 games in San Diego. That's not bad. That's a pretty decent season for him down there. It's going to take him some time to adjust. It's going to take him some time to make sure that he's actually going to be a center in this league. And, you know, eventually I see him being maybe a, a type of an Adam Henrique player where he gets 40 or 50 points, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's a great pick to get at the end of the first round. If you can bring in a guy who can consistently get close to 20 goals and, and 40 to 50 points, maybe 60 in a good year, nothing wrong with that. The Ducks need a guy like that eventually when Adam Henrique moves on for the future. And if Sam Steele can be that guy, be that number two guy for the Ducks, that, that's perfect. No, I would agree with you on that. So... Do you think Bob Murray does the right thing and sends the kids back down to San Diego here? And once all these guys start coming back, we don't have, we're not wasting them up on the fourth line. We put them back with the goals for their playoff run, season them a little bit more, and let them come out in a training camp. And does does Bobby fully embrace the idea that his team's just not good enough? He said it. We can't compete. He knows. So is he going to fully embrace this idea and let his vets play? and be a seller at the deadline and avoid the playoffs because the ducks are sitting at a point right now in the season with only 51, 51 and they need 46 out of 64 points remaining to hit the 97 point mark, which was last year's needed point totals to get you into the playoffs. They're not winning that many games. They're not going to get 46 points. They're not going to, they're not going to crack 80. I don't think, I think I said that right. They're not, I've said that before. They're not going to crack 80 points. I don't think they are. They're terrible. I don't know about that. Like 80, 80 would be pretty bad to not hit that. I think if the Ducks finish out 500, so they have, what, 31 games. So if they just finish 500, that's going to be about 16 points, right? Like 15 wins. Or sorry, not 16 points. Uh, it would be 30 to 32 points that they would get if they finished 500 for the rest of the year. But they're, they're a sub-500 yeah, put- team in reality here. I don't know. I, I, I can't put it past them to finish below 80. I feel like that's a stretch. But when you you look at the fact that you mentioned, like 97 last year was the, the playoff mark, and the Ducks would have to win 23 of 31 games to get to that mark. You know, you, let's look at the teams over the last 32 games who've won at least 23 of their games. There's only two, and I don't think it's hard to predict who they are. It's the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Calgary Flames. Calgary went 23-5-4 and four over their last 32 games. And Tampa went 25-6-1. and one. You know, a big surprise. What do those two teams have in common? Oh, they are near the top, if not the top two, in goals per game. Oh, they're killing it. They got a guy who's going to hit 130 points this year, and Nikita Kucherov. And and, and the Flames have, have a couple guys who could get 100 points, and, and uh, Sean Monaghan and Johnny Goodrow. And they've just consistently been two of the best offenses in the league all year. And they just get good play all around, whether it's in net or on the back end. But... You know, the Ducks since Christmas have been the worst goal-scoring team in the league. They've been worse in L.A., and they've been worse in Chicago. Now, if you're telling me that 
Yeah, if you're telling me that all of a sudden, over the last 31 games, they're going to flip the script and go from the worst team in the league in goal scoring to top five to win 23 of 31, it's just not going to happen. I don't. I would be surprised if that's ever happened, where a team since Christmas was the worst in goals for, flipped it around to be one of the top five in the last remaining 30. Or They're not making games. it. There's no way in hell. There's no way in hell. And and it's be, it's because of a, a number of reasons. One, the aging core. Two, the coaching's terrible. Uh, three, the mismanagement of roster players. No, you're not playing guys of the right you know, with the right teammates that we've seen be successful. I mean, I'm right there. I'm just talking about a Cam Fowler and a Brandon Montour and a Josh Manson and Hampus Lindholm. The defense has been one of your worst problems alongside the offense. You're a defense first coach, being Randy Carlisle. You're a matchup guy. You'd rather, you know, worry about who Kessler's playing against than, than fixing what's going on on the ice. This team is, is a, a tire fire. And that's why I don't think that they're going to be 500 coming out. Uh, from the All Star break and, and cracking eighty, I could be wrong. There's a good chance I'm wrong, and there and Gibby's able to drag this team to, to a few wins they probably don't deserve, as he's done all year. Um, but they're terrible, and I think one of the biggest problems is their special teams. They, they're all of a sudden really good, quote unquote, on the penalty kill because of who's in net. Let's not kid ourselves here. John Gibson's the reason why the penalty kill is fourth in the league. Um, since Christmas. So they're killing it on the PK, but their power play can't even get shots on goal. So you have the extra man and your shooting percentage is terrible. How is that possible? You have another player on the ice. How do you not, these guys have played hockey their whole life. How have they not figured out a power play that works? They're, they're, the Ducks aren't set up to actually have a power play that utilizes the guys they throw out there. But you know, you did mention the penalty kill, which has been fourth best since Christmas. That's a 13-game span, 86.7%. A lot of that goes on John Gibson. But there has been some decent play from the penalty kill outside of John Gibson as well. At least some slight improvements a bit. Devin Shore has come in and looked pretty good. Carter Rowney and Derek Grant are getting penalty kill time as well. And they actually look pretty decent on the penalty kill. So, yes, it's been significantly John Gibson who's been the, the guy who's drove that penalty kill over the last 13 games but it's gotten better but like you said the power play just has not come along with it and it's arguably gotten worse than at any point we saw it at the beginning of the year the Ducks just can't generate anything and if you haven't seen it yet uh, Jordan Samuels Thomas former San Diego goal now writes for the athletic he put up a an interesting proposal on how the Ducks should set up on the power play. He thinks they should go with the uh, the one three one setup on the power play, which a lot of successful power plays do utilize. And surprise, surprise, he has some pairings and some some setups uh, of, of positioning of where guys are that we've talked about before this year, where you're actually utilizing guys correctly. So you know we'll go over the units here, but his first unit is Fowler at the point, Getzlaff in that OV type shooting position, Henrique in the slot. Raquel on the Mitch Marner type uh, strong side and then Richie in front of the net I mean that honestly maybe switch Fowler with Brandon Montour is uh, the perfect setup I think 
for the Ducks' first power play. And it, it utilizes everybody's strength. You've got Getzlaff who can either rip a shot and, and show off a dangerous shot from that position or fool people and make a great pass. He's the perfect guy to put in that spot. And then you've got Ricard Raquel in the spot where Troy Terry scored his first NHL goal where either he can rip a shot because he's arguably one of the Ducks' best shooters or make a pass as well. No, I would agree. I think that's that's something I never really thought about is putting Getzloff in that in that OV spot. I never really thought about that because he's got a bomb of a shot. He's got a heavy shot and he's got an accurate shot. And he, can, I mean, he could rip a wrist shot or a snapshot off like that and be just as deadly. He doesn't have to boom a one timer all the time. And he's obviously one of the one of the best passers in the game. Period. So he could he could he's still able to feed the puck. I like that. I think it'd be interesting if they were to try that, but. I, I, you would think they would try something off the wall, but this team just goes back to the same thing over and over again, the perimeter pass. And they always look for the cross crease down low chance. It's always the perimeter passing and they try to set it up down low. I mean, the one, the one chance where they didn't do that and they actually scored was Nick Ritchie being fed from gets off down off the goal line. And he, it actually deflected off of uh, who did it hit? It Nick wasn't it ended up it, Raquel. It required Raquel at the foot. In the foot. Yeah. yeah. But honestly, like, Ryan Getzlaff, to me, is one of the perfect guys to put in that spot. We've talked about Brandon Montour there before just because he has a shot, or Ricard Raquel because he can receive a puck and wire it as well. But Ryan Getzlaff would be such a unique guy to put there because we're used to just seeing deadly shooters there who get fed by the passer, and it's a one-timer into the back of the net. Getzlaff has that ability, and if he makes guys respect the pass to begin with, which guys know – they respect Getzlaff's passing ability and know that he can make a cross-crease pass. They will give him that space to take a shot. And if he can get a couple goals in from there and then have to make guys think twice on whether he's going to shoot it or pass it, it's now his power play to run. If he's got guys thinking twice on whether he's going to shoot or pass, he has all the freedom in the world to do whatever he wants, and the Ducks are going to get a ton of looks from it. Because if they're respecting the pass, he's got open for a one-timer for an easy shot. If they're kind of crowding him too hard and double-teaming him to expect the shot, he's got an either an open Adam Henrique in the slot, an open Nick Ritchie in front of the net, or a cross-crease pass to Ricard Raquel, who can wire it into an open net. I mean, the possibilities on, for Getzlaff in that spot are endless. It's only if the Ducks could actually utilize it correctly. It's amazing they hadn't even attempted to utilize it, though. That's, that's the big problem. A lot of it's on Ryan Getzlaff, though. Is, is Would he even shoot the puck in that in that uh, situation enough to be regarded as a threat to shoot? I don't think he would. That's the problem. Is that everyone knows he's going to pass the puck. Yeah. you have. He has to score a couple goals on that spot and establish himself as a threat to shoot before he can become really a dual threat in, in a guy that people are questioning whether he's going to shoot or pass. And I just don't think he's actually going to shoot the puck enough from that spot to make him an, an actual threat where guys are going to worry about him taking a shot. Either way, they need to figure out the power play. That that has been awful. So no matter what they do with the roster here heading into the next season, because I'm already looking that far. I already know we're not going to the playoffs. I, I'm actually encouraging the uh, the fire to get bigger and then to start selling people off You know, to make this team a little better here with some picks or prospects. But uh Speaking of a guy that doesn't get enough credit on this team, but he's actually been one of the hottest players in the Ducks in January, is Daniel Sprong. Talking about fixing the offense, um, I want before we wrapped, I really wanted to talk to you about him just because he's been a guy that has a shot, and he's been utilized on this team poorly, in my opinion. I think you would say the same thing. He's not getting the ice time that you would think a guy who could score is going to get on a team that can't score. It makes no sense to me. 
he's been utilized correctly at times. And I, I, but I think overall, just his usage has been a problem for me. Uh, you look at the fact that since he's come over to Anaheim, his ice time has gone up because Pittsburgh was using him even worse than the Ducks are. But his, his, he's averaging about 14.53 in ice time per game, which is just under 15 minutes, which isn't bad. That That's pretty good. But just the last five games, for some reason, he's been all over the place. And he's been the Ducks' best forward in January. He's been the most productive forward the Ducks have. He's got seven points and four goals in the ten games that the Ducks have played in January up until this point. And you look at against Detroit, he played 13 minutes. Against Minnesota, he played under 13 minutes. Against New Jersey, he went up to close to his average at 14.45. With the Islanders, for some reason, he went down to 10-24. And then against the Blues, he got put back up to 14-22. So it's weird that he's just kind of going all over the place. And a lot of that is because Randy Carlisle is continuing, for some reason, to move him between the top six and the bottom six, whether he's playing on the fourth line or with Derek Grant at times, or Adam Henrique is where, the, where he's found his home recently. I think that's probably one of the best spots for him, whether it be with Henrique or Getzlaff. I mean, if you're talking about rewarding offense and trying to find secondary scoring, this is your most productive forward in the month of January. And you're still playing under 15 minutes a night when you look at the fact that Derek Grant, Troy Terry, Max Jones, all new additions to this team are playing more minutes than him on a nightly basis. And and I have nothing wrong with them. They haven't done anything bad. But when you've got a guy who's producing and doing well, you got to reward that with more minutes. I mean, he's the only one who scored a goal before the All-Star break. He's yeah. the only goal scorer in that probably the franchise's worst game. It has to be one of the worst games ever. That St. Louis game was a struggle, to say the least, to watch. That hurts. It's like a franchise low in shots, is what people are saying. I never really fact checked that, but apparently, a thirteen shots for, in, in a game is the lowest the Ducks have had in, in their entire franchise history. It probably is because that's that's horrible. I don't understand how you only get thirteen shots in a game. I mean, that's what a lot of teams get in one period. That's, that's absurd. Yeah. I don't understand well, what happened that game. St. Louis had twenty twenty or twenty two in the first period. Yeah, and St. Louis is not a good team. <laughs> they're just not they a good team be, either. They're just they're not. But. So but Daniel Sprong, uh, hopefully he gets more ice time. But it's going to be weird, man, when we start getting healthy again. And all these vets, all these wily veterans come back in with all this uh, experience that the lineup needs, apparently, because these young kids can't take care of the lineup. So let's look ahead to these games before we wrap. We got we got Winnipeg, you got Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal, and you finish off the road trip in Philly. Um, you and I, I mean, you already live in Canada, but you and I will be both in Toronto for the Anaheim-Toronto uh, uh, game. But uh, Winnipeg coming up first, not an easy game. That's a no. tough go in Winnipeg to start a road trip. Arguably the hardest game of the road trip. And you have to look at this, too, is maybe just up to about two weeks ago, you would have looked at this and said, you know, Ottawa, not too great. Yeah, the Ducks have lost to them, but they, they're still not doing that too too good this year. Philadelphia hasn't been good. You, you would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, they haven't been that good. But all of a sudden, Philadelphia has now won four straight. And that's looking like a very difficult Carter game Hart. to finish off a road trip. Yeah, Carter Hart's won uh, five of his last six for the, for the Philadelphia Flyers. And Montreal's looking like a better team. And obviously Toronto getting now Jake Muzzin today, that's even a harder matchup. And Freddie will likely play in that game because they don't play the day before and they don't play the day after. So that's going to be probably a Gibson versus Freddie matchup. And it's going to be in Toronto, which is always a tough place for the Ducks to play. And the Ducks have notoriously struggled against the Toronto Maple Leafs, so that will be tough. 
And then Winnipeg. I mean, Winnipeg, like I said, probably the hardest matchup of that entire trip. And they're one of the best teams in the league for good reason. They score a lot of goals. They play a really structured system. And they have a great goaltender in net. This is this is tough. The Ducks have struggled at home and at the road, but of course on the road they they have been their struggles have been a little bit amplified this year. And uh, you look at starting the road trip against two of the best teams in the league, that could set the tone for the entire road trip right after that. They kept it close the last Winnipeg game, right? Went to OT. They did. They didn't yeah. deserve it necessarily. It and was, that was, was Cam Fowler's game. "Where the hell am I?" moment. Yeah. This miss miss completely miss the front of the deck completely skates right by it. He did the, he did One the, of the highlights of my article. Uh, was, uh, just the flew by. That, that gif of Cam Fowler flying by, yeah. Just flew by, I didn't look, looked at the glass, didn't even pay attention to what's going on. So are they are they a uh, sub-500 here on this road trip? I think so, man. I hate to say it, but I, I find it difficult to see them picking up wins against Winnipeg or Toronto unless they're having an off night, but both of them have rest going into those two games. And then Ottawa is probably the easiest game of the trip, but you're coming off a, a, a tough game against Toronto and playing a back-to-back where you likely see Chad Johnson against the Senators. Ugh. That's not going to be easy. And then you got to go into Montreal, and if you've lost three in a row, that's demoralizing right there. And then even if you pick up a win there, you got to finish off against a hot Philadelphia Flyers team. This is not going to be easy. I could see them maybe winning one of these games, hopefully two, uh, but it, it's going to be tough. And, and really, those first two games set the tone for me. They have to play good, even if they lose. They just have to play well in those two games to get at least some momentum going to have a good road trip. I feel like they've never played well against Toronto. It seems like it. Like Every game I've gone to in Toronto that they've played, they've lost to Toronto. It's, uh, so, it's brutal. Uh, I'm going to this one, so I hope it's different. But uh, I, I can't see it being. This is the best Toronto's ever been that I've been there to see them play the Ducks. And it does not look good, especially the fact that Toronto really addressed their only area of weakness by bringing in Jake Muzzin. He'll likely be ready to go for that game, I would assume. And uh, it, it's a scary one. It's a scary matchup. So you, you've this is the best Toronto team you've ever seen in person will be uh, this upcoming Monday. And at the same time, it'll be the worst Ducks team you've probably yeah. ever seen live the at the same storm. time. The worst <laughs> Ducks team I've ever seen live, coupled with the best Leafs team I've ever seen live, with Frederick Anderson versus John Gibson. Oh boy, that's going to be a good one. So if, if that's um, if that's the case, then you 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 would agree. I think you said it already, but then you're going to see Chad Johnson and that against Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Well, is it Montreal or Ottawa? Uh, Montreal is the back-to-back. Oh, so that's even worse. Yeah, then you're, you're seeing <laughs> that's, Chad Johnson that is, against Montreal, which is, is even not worse a good than thing. against Ottawa. Uh, so maybe the Ottawa game is winnable then, if you're not is not facing on the back-to-back. Hopefully, but we thought the Ottawa game was winnable when both of them came in on losing streaks, and the Ducks didn't play a great game and lost in uh, overtime, I believe, to the Sens in that game anyway. So yeah, I was at, at that game. Point, Woohoo! At this point, when you're near the bottom of the standings and you've lost so many games, uh, like 14 of your last 16, as we mentioned before, any game that used to be winnable is no longer a winnable game. Time to sell. Sell the, sell, sell everything. Sell it all. Sell it. Burn it down. We can't let the Kings or Chicago get Jack Hughes, guys. we got to sell everything. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I'm an expert. Right? <laughs> they have to... Please, sure. First, first episode. I'm an expert. I'm an expert. Just listen podcast. to me. I'm smarter than Bob Murray. <laughs> that is it for us. Thank you guys for tuning in to the first ever Pucks of a Feather podcast. 
Eddie and I and Jason uh, will be like we said, we'll be here every weekend. And in the meantime, you can check out articles on pucksfootfeather.com. That's a great place to get your ducks content. And in between our, our uh, weekly shows here, you can check us out also on our Forever Mighty Post Game Show. So if you want more podcast content, um, you know, come check us out. We'd love to see you guys there. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great week. See you guys.